You know what this means, don't you? Yeah, I saw your eyes go right to it. Craighead. See, they don't know. I got no idea. What about this? By the hand. So where were you? Sipo. Youth center. Three years, I was 13 when I went in. I never heard of it. Well, you didn't miss anything. Yeah. They built a lot of cages, huh? The axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Now it's our turn to do the chopping. Once again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 176th tree-chopping episode of MandoVision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We're so glad you're here. Remember, the best way to reach out to us is, of course, on social media, where we are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Please email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. Well, how is everyone doing? It is Wednesday, October 5th, as we record this. It is episode 5 of Andor. And I have to tell you, still loving this show. It's pretty darn great. Uh, it, it, it's I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's just scratching a Star Wars itch I didn't know I had. Right in the middle, between my shoulder blades. And it feels so good to get that itch scratched. And... This episode kind of continues what we've been seeing from the series all along, uh, but per- perhaps even even adding another dimension to it because we're really kind of getting into the characters in this episode. You know, it's 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 a little bit of a slow burn. We kind of pump the brakes a little bit on some of the action, uh, and we really get to know this this ragtag team of of rebels that's on Aldahani and getting getting ready to to pull off a heist against the Empire. We really get to kind of see the varying backgrounds, the the sort of exploration of, of these characters who are very, very different, very, very different reasons for wanting to do these things, trying to learn to come together and work together and, and be a team to achieve their goals. And now there is a, an, a, a new element added with Cassian and or thrust into their mix and, 
You know, they don't trust him. They don't know his skill set. But, you know, Andor has to kind of navigate that, you know, new team dynamic and sort of show his worth in a, in a sense. Uh, and there's some really great moments with Andor and the, and the team. But we also spent a lot of time with some other characters and, and kind of getting into their stories as well this week and in some really fun and fascinating ways, uh, particularly uh, uh, Cyril Karn, Mon Mothma, uh, and, and even the, the tiny bit, you know, it's a much smaller section of the show, but even spending time with, with Deidre Marrow and, and, and even Luthen's small part in this episode, you know, you really just, you know, again, try to get like, a, you just try to get a better feeling, a better understanding of these characters from these little moments that they have in the show uh, to see their motivations and their and try to understand who they are as, as they try to figure out their place in this this you know era of the Galactic Empire. It's really fascinating stuff. I've had I've I've had a blast watching it, and it's really it's really a f- juicy piece of brisket to kind of tear apart. It's really it's really good. Um, loving it, loving it, loving it, and I hope everyone else is having a good time with it. Uh, let's kind of get the particulars out of the way for this week as we dive into the show. Uh, and or episode five, The Axe Forgets. Original air date today, October 5th, 2022. Written by Dan Gilroy and uh, masterfully directed by Susanna White once again. They do this, you know, we talked about how the show sort of broken down into arcs. And I think they've done a really fantastic job on the opening two arcs thus far. I, I, assuming that this is sort of another three episode arc and next week is sort of our, our climax of this th- three episode arc. I think they're going to deliver the goods. I'm really optimistic about what's going to happen. Uh, our plot for this week, Cassian must carefully navigate the distrust inherent in being in the being the new member of a secret operation. Uh, our principal cast, once again, Diego Luna, Stellan Skarsgård, Genevieve O'Reilly, uh, Suli Rimi, just to name a few. A bunch of great people. This this cast is off the charts, and, and there's so many wonderful people uh, just bringing the thunder. Uh and there's a lot of, like the cat, like like the backgrounds for these characters. There's so much. There's such a wonderful mix of of, of people in in this show, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think filming the show in the UK was was an excellent decision because you get a very different breed of actor out there, and I think they're really kind of delivering this this ground level. Uh, you know, boots in the mud kind of story that 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 Tony Gilroy wanted to tell, and uh, it's so far it is delivering, and I cannot be any happier with what we've seen so far. Let's go ahead, get into the episode proper, and start talking about episode five of Andor. You know what that means? It's time. Strap on your buckets. Uh, let's go. Is this a test? It's a simple question. You don't know how to get it off the runway, do you? We know how to fly it. Yeah, but you've got to get it up there first. Answer the question. You really don't. Do you? You don't know how to get it out of there. How do you input the weight? You sure it's on the rail? Yes. It's mounted. It's ready to go. That's how they keep it. You're sure of that? Yes, we're sure. (laughs) Lieutenant Gorn is in there every day. Okay. There's a load clutch. It's a big, ugly handle, just right next to the booster throttle. There's a gauge, just below, to read out the weight. Why isn't this in the manual? Because 
It's a custom job. It's, it's an add-on. What were you going to do if I wasn't here? Oh, tell me about it. Andor, you need to be there. These people need your help. My goodness. They are, uh, they have the will, but they may not have the knowledge, you know? Uh, I love so much of, of Cassian with, with, with these rebels here on Alahani. And we're going to get to a lot of that, but we're going we're gonna to kind of go in an order today. The format of the show will be a little bit different instead of kind of going, um, you know, back and forth between like the different scenes and the various, uh, in, in sort of a full scale recap of, of, you know, beat by beat of the show. Going to not do that today because uh, our our cast is so much larger than than we are accustomed to on on these Star Wars shows. Uh, we're we're going to kind of try a different approach today, and and please let me know if you guys and gals and, and fine fine people uh, like this approach, disagree with it. Give me your feedback. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, I kind of want to work through the show by character by some of our our. our the people that we're following. And this episode opens up on Cyril Karn. Obviously, the, like, he is not done on this show. He's not done with Cassian Andor. But he is uh, at home with his overbearing mother, constantly reminding him of, of, his, of his failures, not having any future prospects. Uh, he's humiliated his situation, uh, his, his failure on Ferex, his failure on Morlana, with now getting under, completely under Imperial control. And things things aren't looking good for Cyril Karn. And man, this conversation with his mother is is perhaps one of the most painful things I've seen in Star Wars for for a character to to have to endure. Uh, <laughs> I want to go ahead and and, and play uh, a, a bit of this chat that they're having over uh, uh, over breakfast while while Karn is eating. Uh, uh, the Star Wars equivalent of, of Cocoa Puffs in, in some blue milk. It is, this is a, <laughs> this is not the kind of conversation you want to have with your mom. At least I sure as heck don't. My assumption is you have no prospects for the future. Hey, spare room. Could have visited anytime you wanted. You know that. I know what to tell me. I intuit the rest. I intuit you have no future prospects. I've forgotten the precision of your predictive powers. I remembered how to mock me. Forgotten how sensitive you can be. Perhaps you've forgotten my question. Do you have even a single prospect before you? We'll find a way. I'm calling Uncle Harlow. I'm calling in the family favor. Haven't heard that in a while. These are desperate times. You're assuming he'll remember you. That's amusing. And you think he'll talk to you? I know he will. And he'll know why I called. And he'll respect me for having waited so long in asking and being so prudent about my request. What is it you'll be asking for? Someone who'll take you on, Cyril. There you go. There you go. Oof! Awkward. And now we find out that apparently uh, Cyril Karn is, is... At least the implication is that uh, Uncle Harlow is a high-up Imperial muckety-muck. And... His mom's now going to call in what she called, referred to as the family favor, to get Cyril placed somewhere. And you would have to imagine, whether it's through this Uncle Harlow connection or some other means that we'll, we'll later figure out, or we'll see for ourselves in another episode, a future episode, I think Cyril Karn's eventually going to come into the orbit of, of Deidre Mero uh, because they are about to find out... They, I think they're going to find out they are... Um, 
dealing with similar objectives. Uh, particularly by the end of this episode, you know, when we cut back to, to Karn a little bit more often, and we see he begins to uh, fixate, he puts a bit of a, a diamond head on who causes humiliation, and now he's kind of stewing, bathing, soaking in his anger, and of course the, the object of that, of that anger is Cassian Andor. And I believe I believe that is why he will come into the, the orbit of Deidre Miro at a certain point because she's putting together dots on a different side of the of the spectrum that we will talk about at another time in this episode. We'll get, we'll get to her. We got a lot to show to process. Okay, there's a lot going on here, but I I really think this is in a very interesting opening sequence for the for the episode. Again, we're getting to, we're spending time with this Karn character that I'm not sure we thought we'd spend much more time with after his. Uh, failures on Ferex, but that is not the case. Apparently, he will be a driving force against Cassian as Cassian begins to help the rebellion begin across the galaxy. So there's there's a lot going on here, and I like that this it's a very personal grudge between these two characters. These are the characters now, uh, at least for Karn, it's gonna be very very personal. Cassian, you know, maybe not, won't view it the same way, at least not yet, but. We also find out that we're not we're not done on Ferrix yet either. That'll be a planet that I think we're going to spend some time going back to at a later point in the series. We spend some time on Ferrix, but again, we'll talk about that when we get to talking about our ISB agents. But yeah, pay attention to what's going on here with Karn. I'm I'm curious if we will actually see Uncle Harlow in in the near future. If we, if we will figure out uh, just how up the Imperial food chain he is. Is he an Imperial officer? Is he some sort of uh, one of the is he in Palpatine's court, inner circle, something like that? You know, I, I, I'm, I am a little curious. Or is Uncle Harlow portrayed as something more than he actually is? He, and he's just some sort of maybe high-level bureaucrat? Because that is something really important to remember uh, with this Andor series. And again, we'll talk about that more with the ISB section that we're going to get to. But we're not dealing with the admirals and the grand moffs and, and the high echelon of the Imperial Navy. You know, we're not dealing with the... Um, um, you know the the sort of stuff we saw in the films. You know this is ground level. This is this is tactile. It's real. It's it's got feeling to it. It's it's approachable because we understand this level of things. We understand an overbearing mother and her son who she views as a failure, and now she's gonna have to call in, you know, an uncle to pull strings. You know these are things that we can kind of sort of understand in our in our day to day life. It's not you know Jedi mysticism and and. and you know Sith alchemies and things like that which again is fun I'm not knocking it please don't accuse me of knocking it you know better I hope so at least but yeah this this is a boots on the ground approach to the Star Wars storytelling uh, I just think is is just highly effective so I'm very curious to see how we go how much further we go uh, with Karn as, as he begins to fixate on Cassian Andor so let's go ahead and transition now to our Mon Mothma sequence for this episode and, and seeing more of Mon's home life, uh, how troubling it is. And, you know, I, we're in a, in a precarious spot with Mon Mothma where we, where we don't, there's a lot we don't know yet. There's a lot of information that we sort of still sort of need to sort of parse out. But picking up with what we know from the conversation that she has with Luthen uh, in last week's episode, that that feeling of isolation, it's not just... You know when she's in, in uh, you know in the Senate, making her way around town. You know, feeling the eyes on her. You know, we talked about it when she got into the argument with her husband Perrin in last week's episode. And this is sort of like an expansion of that sequence because 
uh, Perrin is zero help in a very uncomfortable encounter with between Mon and her daughter. Uh, uh, obviously, it's, it, it's, it seems apparent that, that, that Perrin has pitted his daughter against his wife and is sort of enjoying the benefits of <laughs> them being in a feud with each other. And... Again, there's a, there's more information I want to get because I think, by and large, as Star Wars fans, we know that Mon Mothma is a good character in in the sense that like she's sort of you know noble and, and virtuous, and exemplifies the old Republic and and bringing the rebellion together to fight against the Empire, the tyranny of the Empire. So, it, I sort of wonder if. Because she's keeping these secrets, because she is, is secretly funneling money, money to build a rebellion, to, to destabilize the Empire, are these things that would affect her relationship with Perrin and her daughter? Uh, because they obviously see her in a very different fashion than long-term Star Wars fans have. I think for new Star Wars fans, or, or new fans of this show even, I think you're sort of wondering what kind of mother, what kind of parent, what kind of wife is Mon Mothma to, these, to, to Perrin and to, to Lita. Because... If you don't know who Mon is, you're just kind of seeing uh, um, a, a, a galactic senator who is who's sort of disconnected from the day-to-day life of, of her husband and her daughter. But I think there's more to it than that. I think there's, you know, Mon's keeping secrets. I think it weighs on her. I think it, it, it puts her in a bad position with both Perrin and her daughter. The, the thing that we're trying to figure out, as we talked a little bit about last week, is is, is Perrin really a, a bad guy? Or is, is he just feel jilted that she's chosen this life and her, the optics of her in the, in the Senate, in, in, in society, over him and him and his their daughter together? So I, I really want to keep exploring this, this, this relationship, this dynamic that they seem to have. Uh, some information that was, that, I gleaned from from rewatching last week, uh, and from I think some online sources confirmed, uh, Perrin and Mon Mothma have been an arranged marriage. They got married when they were sixteen, and so there's probably this probably isn't the best match. It seemed to be like a, a more of a political uh, coming together of families on on Chandrilla. But again, maybe we'll get some more information, some more exploration on that. But some one of the interesting elements I wanna I wanna sort of talk about. Well, hold on. Let's go ahead and play the clip from this sequence first, and then we'll talk about uh, some things I want to kind of consider and, and, and put out there for, for everyone to th- maybe think about a little bit and, and uh, you know, just, just some thoughts. Check this scene out. It's, again, this sequence, if it were to play, have played back-to-back against the, the, the scene with Cyril Karn and his mother, uh, it just it would it might have been a very painful opening ten minutes of the episode in the sense that you know you open with Cyril Karn and his overbearing mother, and then you get the sequence with Mon Mothma being berated by her daughter and her husband sitting back with sort of a sort of a certain smugness about him as he seems to be enjoying the show. Uh, but let's check it out and let, again let's kind of sort of glean what Mon's daughter really thinks of her. Get your coat. It's out of your way anyway, so what's the point? The point is, we have a schedule, the driver's waiting, I've planned on this and we're going. You're only doing it to show off. What? Just go. What would I be showing off? You're involved somehow. Well, that's just... Nobody cares, you can relax. 
That's just so heartful. See? There you go. Go where? That's my point. It's all about you, isn't it? It's always all about you. Is this really how you'd like to start the day? I didn't choose this conversation. I so appreciate the support. Just major ouch. Major ouch is right there. Um, what? It's just... Again, you, and you sort of wonder how much would... Lita's, Lita's opinion in particular, I'm, I'm very curious about, if she were to know what her mother were secretly doing to, to aid rebellion. But I also want to, to kind of consider the idea, you know, would that truth change the way Perrin and Lita uh, feel about Mon Mothma? You know, to know that, you know, she's sort of just trying to keep up appearances while it's, you know, advocating for change beneath, behind the scenes. Or are Perrin and Lita simply examples of the sort of privilege and, and social elitism that the empire breeds. You know, like, are these people willing to give up everything to fight against the empire? That, and that's sort of the question that I think we have to get at least some sort of answer uh, by the end of the Andor series. And, uh, you know, these characters could be in very different places in season two as we're, as we're on, a, on, a, on a, you know, a collision course with, with Rogue One. You know, again, Mon is... is not going to be out and about, you know, out and out, <laughs> out loud and proud for the rebellion. You know, she has to maintain appearances in the Imperial Senate. That all stuff has to stay secret. Her role with the rebellion has to stay secret. But will she choose to bring Perrin and Lita into her confidence? You know, will they be willing to, to risk it all to destabilize the Empire? And, and I'm really fascinated to see where this goes uh, because I want to know if, if these characters, will Perrin and Lita choose to support that and agree that, oh, yeah, finally someone's doing something about these people? Or is she, are they going to choose, like, well, we like our lives here. We like being the elites. You know, I, I'm very curious how this is all going to shake out. Um, again, there, there there's books and and. Monmouth with backstory and, and other materials that sort of would hint at one thing, but this show could do different things and change all that. Don't believe what we think we know from from other elements of canon. Things have been known to be changed. It won't be the first time it's happened. Won't be the last time. But I am fascinated by this family dynamic. Uh, it is uncomfortable, awkward, <laughs> and again, knowing that that Mon is the leader of the rebellion. Basically, uh, we we have to sort of see her get to that point. And again, I, I'm just very curious if she brings them into her confidence or if she has to sort of cut them loose because they want to be part of the Coruscanti upper crust and uh, they, they can't see the freedoms that are being trampled on across the galaxy. I mean, obviously Perrin doesn't seem to really care. That was his indication in, in the last episode when they were planning the dinner party and he's inviting all of uh, Palpatine's sycophants to, to, to join the, the fun. So, just, I'm very curious to, to go down this rabbit hole with, with Mon Mothman and her family. All right, so now let's go ahead and check in on our ISB agents. We see Blevins, uh, Lieutenant Supervisor Blevins, on Ferrix, installing the Imperial Garrison, getting all those things set up. Again, we're, see we're seeing him gaining that upward mobility that he wants. And uh, it's it's interesting because again with with the ISB agents in particular we're we're sort of exploring and spending time 
with imperial middle management. <laughs> you know, we're spending time with bureaucracy and, uh, you know, sort of the, the seeing the sort of ladder climbing that goes on in the halls of the empire, uh, you know, to gain a foothold, to gain that upward mobility that Blevins has and that Deidre Mero so desperately wants. Uh, so that when, she, when, when Blevins returns to the ISB compound on Coruscant, you know, kind of more important than he was before, higher in station, you know, underlings around him, surrounding him, giving him updates on all the things he missed when he was away and selling the garrison. And, and it, it, it rankles Deidre Mero. And she believes she's on the right path. She believes she's finding information that uh, the Empire is dismissing because it just it doesn't feel right. It seems too random. It's all over the place. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't amount to anything. And, and who, who would have the audacity, right, to, to try and organize against the Galactic Empire? Again, that sort of arrogance, that sort of overconfidence that, that, that Cassian Andrews talked about in the, in the first episodes of the show, in episode three. Uh, we we see it at the higher levels, but here on on in the in the sort of again in the, in the gears of bureaucracy for the empire, uh, there are people that are paying attention and, and and seeing these elements, and that's why again as I said earlier in the show, I believe at some point G. Romero will come in the orbit of Cyril Karn, and she, uh, Karn will be able to put a face to what's going on again knowing the casting Andor and then whoever the mysterious person was with him that, that helped him flee from Ferrix. I, I, I feel like these two characters are, are on a path. will eventually be on the same path with one another. And, and Karn is going to help her fill in a lot of blanks, but let's, let's kind of check out her line of thought as, as she's sort of trying to connect these dots again, sort of going against orders. She's been told, sort of told to drop this, but she can't. There's something going on here, and, and she sees the pieces, and she just needs to kind of put it all together. You should go. I didn't realize how late it was. I'm staying if you are. I don't know what I'm doing. About any of it. Yes, you do. You're onto something. Kessel. Fondor. Targeting consoles from Jakku. Proton warheads from Base K. The Steergard Starpath. He's right, though. It's too spread out to be organized. But you don't believe that. I know this. If I was them, this is how I'd do it. I'd spread it out. Never climb the same fence twice. It's too random to be random. Two more files each. It's always good to have an underling supporting you, right? <laughs> I again, again, another element of this show that I'm, I'm sort of completely enamored with. You know, we know the Empire's the bad guys, and you know, we don't want to root for the bad guys by any stretch. But I, I'm very curious. I'm very fascinated by by the ISB agent Marrow, and and again, sort of just exploring something that we don't see very often. That that I'm gonna say words that I've said before, but th this sort of it's almost like corporate America level ladder climbing stuff. You know, we've never really seen it in, in this fashion uh, in, in Star Wars. Again, there, there have been, you know, we, we see it in stuff with like the Imperial Navy because that's where we spend the bulk of our time when we're in the, the comics and the novels and the, and the films. We spend our time 
with the Imperial Navy and, and officers clamoring, climbing the ranks, mostly because Darth Vader's choked out their superior officers and, and there's a void to be filled. Uh, but, to, but again, sort of seeing it in this middle management level, uh, there, there is a certain uh, a corporate America vibe to it that I, I cannot help but, but, but see. It's almost, like, uh, it's almost like Mad Men, but with the Empire. <laughs> All we need is John, John Hamm to show up. How great would that be? Uh, but yeah, I'm really digging this, and I, I want to see uh, how Mero puts these pieces together. I want to see if she does come into the orbit of, of Cyril Karn, and if they uh, become some sort of, uh, for, for lack of a better couple, a better term, a power couple here on, on, on the Andor show in exposing uh, Luthen, exposing Cassian, and and sort of making the forcing the Empire to realize there is rebellion happening across the Empire. So very intrigued, very uh, excited. Again, a lot of uh, this episode is a slow burn, but it's moving pieces very deftly, and we're exploring these characters in such fun ways. We're getting to see the way that Marrow thinks and the way she's processing the information. And again, the way she's sort of puzzling this out in the face of, of her being told by her superiors, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're chasing ghosts. And, and she doesn't believe that. So I really liking this stuff a lot fascinating just fascinating with it and and the last thing we want to talk about is is uh well not the last thing but the last thing before we get to andor himself the star of the show let's talk about luthan let's talk about him at his at his store at waiting for you know he's on the comms he's waiting to hear something from from the planet from from the mission he wants to know what's going on you know he's he's stuck here on coruscant he's helped plan this he's helped organize this and He's waiting word from Aldahani to, to, to just to know what's going on, to be in the loop. But this is the hard part of his job, is now waiting. Waiting for word, waiting to find out if, you know, his plans have come to fruition, if they've succeeded, if they have failed, and, and what is to come of things. And, you know, I, I, I liked getting to see the fretting that he's experiencing, the, the, the sort of wondering. He's like, you know, he, he tells his assistant, I was, I was reckless with Cassian. You know, I, I, I left, I left, I wasn't careful enough. You know, I could be exposed here. And, and that's entirely true. That's entirely possible. Uh, so I, but I, I really like seeing that, that, again, it sort of adds like a, that secret operative agent, uh, a CIA kind of thing that we've seen in other movies. It's like, you can put all these things into place. You can put all these plans into play. You can put the teams together. But if you're not there with them, you then have to be, you're back at your base, at your hideout, at, at wherever you are. And you just have to wait. And it can be painful and excruciating and, and uncomfortable. And you second-guess yourself and you have doubts and, and all these things. And seeing that in, in, in Luthen is, is, is very interesting stuff. And again, Stellan Skarsgård doesn't have a huge presence in this episode. But when he shows up, that presence pops on the screen. And, and you're, you're very in, intrigued by that, that sort of emotional turmoil that he's in as, he, as he's just waiting for some word from Aldahani and he has to know but he can't he can't he'll know soon enough one way or the other and then he'll have to act and react and we'll see where that goes but just again a small sequence but full full of, of, of powerful presence really enjoyed it uh, now now we'll transition to, to Cassian's ep chunk of the story and it's a big chunk of the story you should switch. What? He's left-handed. Should swap sides. 
Why don't you get a handle on what we're doing here before you start making suggestions? Why? Why switch sides? Skin is left-handed. You want your weapon on the outside. What am I? Right-handed. Taramin? Right. Center? Right. Nemec? Favors right, but shoots left. Fine. Let's switch. All right, as I said, we're checking in with our rebel friends here on Aldahani. Of course, Vel, Senta, Skeen, Nemec, Terramin, and Lieutenant Gorn, our Imperial inside man. Um, we find out his backstory pretty early on. Well, not necessarily his backstory, but why he's aiding these rebels. Uh, and it's as simple as he fell in love with an Aldahani woman. And uh, the Empire, well, they changed that. They wouldn't allow that. And, and you know, again, the displacement of the natives, the locals, uh, uh, affected him. And now he's... He's out of love with the Empire as well. And I, I like the sequences with him, again, uh, uh, spending a little time with Gorn, with his, his men at the base, and sort of talking about looking out over the, the, the hillsides of Aldahani and, and knowing that you know there were so many more that would come to view the celestial storm that's coming that, that the rebels will use as their cover for their robbery. Uh, and, and talking about how you know, now they barely get 100, 100 Aldahani to come in the area because the Empire has driven them so far away, displaced so many of them. And, and you can see how that sort of affects him in a way, but he has to try and not show that as, as, a, as an emotional negative. Uh, but again, that's us getting to know more about him and why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, Skeen is the most overtly confrontational with, with Cassian in this episode. We see him rifling through his stuff, going through his things, questions the corporate blaster that he has. How do you get it? Where did it come from? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Skeen's also the one who takes and, and forces a confrontation that we'll talk about a little bit later. A little bit later. So, but that the Skeen also has possibly the best line in the episode, uh, which, is, which is, the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. And that's the line we use to open up this episode. Uh, again, we get to explore his, his connections, his, his, you know, where's he's from. They don't know, the group doesn't know that he's been in some sort of imperial prison, some sort of imperial camp, perhaps. And he's got this, those tattoos, uh, the crate head, and uh, the by the hand, I think is what, what Cassian called it. Again, the, there's possible connections to some other Star Wars lore there, but uh, I'm, I'm unwilling to go on that limb at this moment. This is an episode with not a lot of Easter eggs in it, and I dig that. I appreciate that. I respect that. Uh, but, but we find out that Skeen, uh, again, he's sort of keeping a secret, too, from this group. Uh, so the idea that he doesn't trust Cassian and that he believes Cassian is there to undermine them uh, is an interesting one. But we find out that, yeah, Skeen's been in prison. He's, he's or, or or some kind of camp of some sort, uh, but he has a very personal reason for being part of this, and 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 that's sort of what we do with this episode. We sort of get into things. You know, Val and Cinta seem to be like uh, I don't know if I want to say true believers, but they they definitely have had enough of the Empire. Uh, uh, Nemec is is sort of he's writing like a manifesto for for freedom in the galaxy. He he seems to just want to be. He knows that things aren't right, things are wrong, and he's going to stand up against it. Uh, uh, we don't—I don't think we got into Terramin's reasoning for being there necessarily. But again, we find out—I mean, they, they all have their own reasons, and they're all coming together. They're very different people with different histories and different 
engagements against the empire that have that have soured them and and caused them to want to take this course course of action. And it's all very interesting stuff. I like the time you get to spend with the characters uh, in this, and uh, it's it's when Skeen sort of forces Cassian, tries to expose him, you know, because uh, Skeen is a, figures out at some point that Cassian's hiding something, and it's it's the blue Kyber that he's been wearing around his neck that was given from Luthen as as a down payment for for going on this assignment, working this job. And, and helping this team pull things off. But as we've seen thus far through the episode, uh, Cassian is, is, is more than pulling his weight. He's helping them uh, in, in profound ways. You know, we played, this, we played the clip where they, you know, they have an Imperial manual on how to fly that ship, but there's things that they don't know. Cassian's giving them valuable information from his experiences uh, going up against the Empire already. You know, uh, being a thief, being on their bases, stealing their ships, and, and, and the things that have gotten him in trouble over the years. Uh, this is all valuable information. This is all valuable. Cassian is showing himself to be a valuable resource, despite the fact that most of them, with the exception of Vel, who's the only one who knows that he's been put in this place, put on this team in place by, by their benefactor, their secret benefactor, Luthen. Um, you know, he, again, I think Cassian's trying to, trying to show them that he's here to help. Uh, correcting them on the march, telling them that that your le- your handedness should determine what side of the formation you're on. Uh, these these are, are just pieces of information that this group needs to get right. They're details that they need to get right, or they're going to be exposed uh, before they get anywhere near the base. And Cassian, again, is is he has his reasons for being there, and they're different from everybody else's. But that doesn't mean he's not there to do what he's supposed to do. And that's what he spends a lot of this episode trying to make them realize. And I, I love when Skeen attempts to force the issue, expose him as, as, as you know, going to be the person that, that leads them to their death. I love what Cassian gets into, and I'm going to play that clip for you right now. I'm being paid. Paid to be here. You need to know? That's it. What? Yeah, I'm here for the money. You can't live with that? I'm not worth it? I'll walk away and wish you luck. But that's what it is. I don't want to walk in looking over my shoulder. You knew this. The choice was take him or call it off. Call it off? You should have told us days ago. Maybe so. It just would have been something else. What's that mean? The day before is always hard. Too much time to worry. You think we're scared? I know you are. It's really only the money. To take a risk like this? Come on. Maybe you're the one that's afraid. Of course I'm afraid. But there's a difference between fear and losing your nerve. You want out of this. Make a choice. Don't use me as an excuse. So I really like that aspect of it, exploring the, the, the idea of cold, you know, cold feet, nerves, thinking about these things too much before the big day, the big moment gets here. And I like that Cassian puts it all on the table. And he's like, if you want to back out, back out. But I don't blame me. Don't use me as your excuse for getting out of this, all right? You know, here's why I'm here. This is it. And that leads us to the cabin sequence, which, again, is another really nice uh, – kind of puts a bow on things as Skeen uh, by – in, in – you know, in his own way of apology, 
quote unquote, <laughs> uh, shares why he's there, and it's uh, it's because of what the Empire did to his brother, and 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 drove him to 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 death, it, you know, drove him to commit suicide by, by taking his land, and 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 not being able to do anything about it, and so now he's here for payback for his brother, um, and you know, I, I just like these very real reasons for why. These people are choosing to engage in rebellion against the empire. Why they're choosing to stand up against the tyranny and the oppression of of the empire. It's it's really nice stuff. Uh, the plan begins to take place. They make they send the signal to Lieutenant Gorn, and then uh, Val and Sinter are going to go off. Now we don't know they're part of the plan, so that's an element that we are are kept in the dark of. Cassian is kept in the dark on. And, and so the, that should be an interesting revelation for what role they play in the heist uh, in, in next week's episode of the show. But uh, uh, just really strong character work throughout this episode. But, but the, the stuff here on Aldahani with, with Cassian and, and the Rebels is, is, is really, really interesting. And, you know, there's a, they do a great job. There's always this sort of taut tension throughout these episodes because we're dealing with characters that are you know, as we as we talked about last week, there's there's a level of duplicity with almost all these all these characters uh, that are living double lives, have their secret motivations for why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, but this week, the tension becomes a little bit more palpable in 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 a, in a way of of exposure, of being found out, of being caught. Uh, the sequence in the valley where where they're training on Aldahani, and a single Tie Fighter comes roaring through the canyon, through the valley, just low overhead. They're hiding, they're, they're scurrying to hide the weapons, to hide everything, so that they simply appear as, as farmers. Uh, just a great amount of tension, and they ratchet it up so nicely with, the, with that sequence, and then as they sort of build towards, you know, the day before, the night before, they're going to pull off the heist. Uh, they do a really wonderful job with that, and I, I'm loving that, that sense of tension, that sense of, it's all on the line. It could all come crumbling down. Uh, and, and think about it from another perspective. Again, I'm going to go back to, to what I like to say about the show so much. With it being this ground level uh, show, with it being uh, you know, the, in the mud, in the muck, down in the dirt, a single TIE fighter sends them into, in, in, into not necessarily panic, but it's one ship, and it risks it, it's it's seeing them could risk everything, could cost them everything. It's not like the more grandiose versions of Star Wars that we've gotten, like in the in the cinema in in the in the, in the cinemas, when it'd be like a fleet of, of of ships or a battalion of stormtroopers over the horizon. One ship causes them to to fear their exposure, the risk of everything. One single Tie Fighter could could blow everything for them. Uh, and I just, it just, I think that's really effective storytelling, making us really feel the apprehension, the nervousness that these characters have to have as they're getting ready to to pull off um, what seems could be an impossible feat. And, you know, Cassian called it a suicide mission. I think he's more confident in it now, but I think he still has questions. And again, he's sort of exposed that they've they've read these books, but they don't have experience. Cassian is their experience, and. They're going to need to rely on him, and, and he's going to need them to get out of this situation alive. Uh, it'll be interesting to see just how many of them survive the heist next week. Uh, but it's going to be—I think it's going to be pretty awesome. I can't wait to see everything come to come to a head. You know, we've, we've been hearing this plan, but there are elements that we don't know. And I think we all know that plans do not go according to plan. 
<laughs> you know, it's not usually how the way things work in 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 the movies, in the shows, in anything. If you have a plan, it gets laughed at by the person who made the plan, by, by the person who the plan is against. They got their own little ideas about what to do. And that's going to be really exciting to see how it all shakes out in the next episode of the show. I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Oh, and I'm really excited to see the Celestial Shower. That sounds kind of cool, too. It, uh, it just sounds like something we don't see a ton of in, in Star Wars. Uh, but that could be a lot of fun to, to, to get to visualize as well. Uh, so excited for that. But I think I have covered everything I want to talk about for this week's episode of the show. For Andor Episode 5, The Axe Forgets. Uh, again, another really, really strong entry in, the, in what I think has already been an incredibly strong series so far. I want to thank you all for tuning in tuning in like it's a radio show <laughs> for, for downloading streaming whatever it is you're doing to listen to the podcast I thank you all for checking it out uh, you are all the best and and um, another reminder please follow us on social media we're at Mando underscore vision Twitter and Instagram email the show MandoVisionTom at gmail.com be sure to like subscribe share and follow the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert uh, if you want to write us a five star review those are really really helpful they help us uh, fight against the tyranny of the empire in our own small way. So we take we appreciate you taking the time to do so. Uh, if you would like to become an official Mandavision maniac and join Buckethead Nation, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash Mandavision. You can join the maniacs and gain access to sweet, sweet, sweet bonus content, bonus shows, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspinel Chody, the Batman of Bayho, Jeff Nail. Jeff's co-hosting The Ring and Ear, a great music podcast. Check them out. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles. The Squidmaster General, Mr. Brian Broussard. The New Jersey Devil, Mark Wegemer. Our very own Joker, Harley Quinn, Brian and Chris of Pariah Brewing in Baltimore, Maryland. The Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops. The Silent Assassin, he who should not be named. And Syndicate Ram, co-host of Come On, It's Still Good. A great movie podcast that I recommend checking out sometime soon. All right. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out with me today. Really, really appreciate it. We will be back next week for episode six of Andor. So just keep your bucket on. Just I hope it's fragrant. I hope you have a fragrant bucket because, uh, you know, you wear them too much. They do need to air out a little bit. And, and always clean your bucket. Always clean your bucket. All right, let's get out of here. This podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs>